What is up guys? This is All The Smoke on Strength and Physique with your hosts Adam and Chris, where we provide you with evidence-based information, community support, and recognition to all who are bettering themselves with fitness. Welcome back to All The Smoke on Strength and Physique. We got a special guest, a special guest that I've known for maybe five-ish years. She came to speak when I was the president of oh my. FPTO. Can I just, can I pause that? Like, oh, I feel terrible for you, Dr. Jennifer. That <laughs> five years, that's, I've known Adam for two and I'm like, oh, I got oh, enough. Oh, all right. So we going that route. We going that route. <laughs> we going that route. But hey, five years doesn't I, even feel like very long, to be honest. Like, it really doesn't. But you know, she's definitely her and her husband, Ryan. I've referred to quite a few of my clients that I just couldn't really get much out of um and i thought you know it was outside of my scope of practice and just hearing her speak um on her instagram page and in person um definitely really knowledgeable um and excited to have you so um dr jen hostler if you do not mind for those individuals that have no idea who you are could you go ahead and introduce yourself please yeah so i I am a physical therapist by trade, but I like to say I kind of live like one foot in the door in fitness and one fit one foot in the door in rehab because I originally studied exercise science in undergrad and I fell in love with like the whole, I don't know, movement world, but also just like learning about the human body and the ability to adapt. Like it was super cool. Um, and I have my own rehab journey uh, that I can talk about, but I had rehab prior. So then I went in and followed up with that degree and got a doctorate in physical therapy. And I then also was very dissatisfied with the physical therapy education that I got because I was like, I want to help active people. And it was like, we spent so much time in physical therapy school going over like wheelchair transfers. Um, And I was like, okay, we're in our third year. Like we have this down. This is something you learn on the whatever. It's a whole different story I can get on a soapbox about, but I wasn't super satisfied. So I was taking a ton of continuing ed through PT school. I started a club in PT school called rehab to performance. So my whole like niche niche, never know how to say that word, but is like bridging the gap between rehabilitation and performance and fitness. So I am a physical therapist. I am a strength and conditioning coach, and I also am like a mobility specialist. So those are kind of the three hats that I like to say that I wear mostly. Um, And I work in my own clinic called Movement Upgraded that I co-own with my husband, who is a chiropractor, movement specialist, and mobility specialist, and strength and conditioning coach. So we open that. um, We are out of network. We don't take insurance. And we work with people who just either rehab has failed them, so they couldn't get back into their activity. They were told to just deal with the pain that they're dealing with because clinicians, other clinicians were not able to help them. Or people who are just like, I want to stay mobile and healthy as I age. So Um, or I just want to squat better. So we work with all those people and we do a little bit of like working through pain and rehabbing, but I also do a little bit of training as well. Cause I love, I have like a very special place in my heart for helping women get strong and learning how to like lift rather than just like destroy themselves in fitness, which is like the typical thing that we see in the fitness world, which drives me crazy. So, um, that's essentially who I am and what I do in a nutshell, I guess. So, right, right, I'm going to just piggyback off some of that. So, first off, right, you were kind of disappointed with DPT in itself. And that was something that I almost went into, but pulled out uh, like a semester in. And before we, you know, started this conversation, it's like, you have to understand the amount of money in the in, or investment that you're having to put yourself in. Um, and I think 
DPT is one of those professions, like you said, that can really burn out really quick because you can see two, three, I've even seen five patients uh, through one DPT at an outpatient clinic and the quality of care uh, might not be there, but you still have to provide that service. Um, so right, the amount of debt that you're going to be put in, the a potential burnout that's going to be there, maybe knowing all of that, why did you still do it? So I remember in undergrad when I was like looking at all of this stuff and I was just like, I think I was 18, 19 years old trying to figure out my finances and I was somebody who had to pay for all of my living expenses, all of my school throughout. Like that was, and it was all loans. Like that was just the, the nature of my life. So I was looking at this and I kept telling like both Ryan, who was my boyfriend at the time, um, who's my husband now, and even my parents, I was like, this doesn't make sense. Like the amount of money that I'm taking out here is absurd. And I'm actually, I was having panic attacks like every week because I didn't, I wanted to be a physical therapist, but I was like, this doesn't make sense. And I was like, the money doesn't make sense. And the only thing I kept hearing was, well, everybody's doing it. So obviously you'll figure it out, which to be honest is some of the worst financial advice you could ever get. And, um, that, you know, like I really wish that I sometimes would have listened to my instincts, but I still think I would do it all over again. Um, but nowadays the, the healthcare world is just getting worse and worse and um, new grads are starting out, especially if you want to be an outpatient, which is where I, I want nothing to do with hospitals. Um, they're just starting out with such low salaries and you are so in debt, but you're so strapped for cash when you graduate that you just have to take whatever job you can. And I think I read recently that the average uh, age or like uh, time span for a physical therapist is five years in the profession. Five. If you like actually want to make the money that you should be making for a doctoral degree and for the amount of money you go into debt, you have to basically take a home health position. Um, and I don't know what anybody knows about home health, but it's not fun for me. <laughs> it's, not, it's not really what I got into. The I, don't, I don't think home health is actually realistic for individuals who, uh, I mean, it takes a special individual because you always are on the go. You're traveling. Uh, sometimes you're traveling across state borders like it takes a really committed single uh very uh i i can't think of the right word without being uh, offensive offensive to someone but you got to have a lot of free time and you you got nothing to do with it yeah you have to be like really flexible and you have to be kind of good at like setting your own schedule and stuff like that. Every specialty in physical therapy, like every other career takes like a certain person for all of them. Right. So like you can't expect every physical therapist to just go and do a home health so they can pay off their loans. And you know, like, I don't think that's fair. Like I don't want to be stuck in a job. Half the reason I became a physical therapist is because I wanted a job that I feel really passionate about. I'm extremely passionate about learning and helping people like move better, stay out of pain and just like feel physically capable in their bodies. And I didn't, I don't have the expertise, the knowledge, the passion, the drive to do it in home health. Like that's just not fun for me, but there are people who do and that's fine for them. But like, if I'm not searching for what I like, I, I wanted to not do that. Like I wanted to do outpatient. I want to work with people, um, in that type of a setting. And when I first came out, I got offered a job that was just not paying what I should have been paid. So <laughs> that's the reality of all people who are graduating now. So I actually have had several uh, students come shadow me and 
I have what I would say, like a probably not good, like failure rate of them deciding not to go into PT school. And that's not because I'm super like anti-physical therapy school. I'm just anti going into it without knowing all of the things. And like, I will educate them on here's what you can expect. This is what you're going to have to do. Don't get into the profession unless you are ready to take on this amount of stuff because our profession physical therapy world has so many people who are burnt out and just like playing the system and just bringing the profession down. And it's so um, disheartening. And I'm constantly like de-educating patients um, away from not just my profession, but things, all healthcare and even some fitness people are telling people, but I don't want people to like students to go into the profession um, without knowing everything that they need to know. And then end up being burnt out and just dragging the profession down. Um, so I actually care about physical therapy, even if it's just like I'm one person. Sometimes I feel like I'm doing nothing. But uh, so let me yeah. let me touch on that comment, though. So, yeah. you know, the, the profession in itself is becoming oversaturated because, right, there's so many schools that are now like say, hey, we're it's a doctorate now. Uh, more money, more opportunity, more time for these students to, you know, pass the test, become a generalist and, you know, teach them, I would say how to think or no, what to think instead of how to think. What is, what is your overwhelming issue with that? And then I guess, how are you trying to bridge that gap? So again, physical therapists, like if I told my dad, Hey, go see a physical therapist, what he's going to assume is like, okay, yeah, come right here, massage me here. And now we're, what we're trying to do is become like bridge that gap between strength and conditioning and physical therapy. Like what, you still think the overwhelming issue is with all of this? I mean, it's such a loaded question because it's multifactorial, right? So there's just so many complicated things. I'm not entirely sure we should have ever become a doctorate program. Like, I don't know if that was the best move. I think that was like this like duct tape solution that we decided to create in the profession. That's like, you know, duct tape works for some things, actually for most things, but only for a particular time. And then it causes other problems down the road, in my opinion. So um, I think that is part of it. The other part is it being a system which does not allow for us to have our own individual thoughts. It's very much like pass the test, get past the test. Like I remember all of my classmates were just like, only learning based off of like what was on the test. So it was just like this constant um, memorizing, regurgitating information. And there's not good education on things that really matter. And I can go into like the beyond just like, I wish we learned more movement and we barely learned exercise science, which I had a better, I had better understanding of exercise science than my undergrad degree, which so I think- It's always, sorry to cut you off. It's always yeah. funny to hear it. So you're the- third or fourth, like either doctor of physical therapy or doctor of Cairo. And they're like, the only reason I understand exercise and programming is because I had a background prior to that. And yeah. I always ask individuals like, so what would you wish that you would learn more about? And it's like, okay, I wish I could, you know, set out a program and do this, this, and this. And it, it's still mind boggling to me. Like you take one, maybe a half a course of exercise science or um, strength and conditioning of that aspect like three lectures. I think we had like three lectures specifically on exercise science. That was a four year degree for me. And you have masters for that too. Like, right. Like there's just so much to learn about it, but yet we're supposed to be these movement professionals who our main way of helping people get better. That is shown over and over in research for almost every condition is exercise, but we don't even know why we're doing things. Like there's no clinical reasoning behind it. And 
I just don't understand why there's that disconnect. And so actually that's why I started the club at USF at the, my physical therapy school, because I was like, look, we had three lectures. I could have taught all of them better. And that's not th saying like, I'm this phenomenal, amazing, like I know everything person. It's just as a student, I had better education that I could have taught the lecture better. I was sitting there like, as I was listening to this lecture, and this is kind of why I was like, consider myself the black sheep because some of my professors always would get mad at me. But we were listening to this lecture. I was creating my own lecture for the rehab to performance program while he was spewing this information, which half of it was just like the basics. And then it was just like butchered. So one of my professors actually pulled me aside at one point. <laughs> he was like, Hey, you're not paying attention in class. And I was like, check all my grades. They're fine. Like I'm going to pay attention when it's something that I need to pay attention to. And I'll do fine on the test too. Cause I already know this stuff. And that wasn't even me being arrogant. It was just me. Like, I'm very much a tell it how it is type of person. And he was just like, well, whatever, you know, like I'm going to watch you graduate. And I was like, he's like, I'm going to have my eye on you. And I was like, go ahead. Like I'm running a, a club trying to help other people learn what you guys are like failing at. So um, I think the biggest thing is I just wish that we had more exercise science, like more of the physiology, like lectures on how the body adapts, how things change. Like we had like cellular and like tissue physiology, which was so interesting about how like cells adapt to force and things like that. Like I remember very well doing that because my first year uh, in PT school was actually med school science. Like they combine them. Yeah. So um, I had a lot of that type of information my first year and then it just got like completely neglected and then we would talk about the wrist for example and one of my professors was like you know if you have a wrist injury there's not much you can do strengthening wise because it's just tendons that cross that and I'm like um that but they're like but just go ahead and do some strengthening exercises like that was the disconnect I was like okay so you're telling me to go ahead and do these exercises for strengthening, but there's not much strengthening that will happen at that joint. Um, that doesn't make sense. And then if you really look at the like, I don't know, like how cells work and how things adapt, if you're working on strengthening a muscle, you're actually working on strengthening and everything attached to it and everything is connected because it, there's no glue in the human body. So your forearm muscles are continuous with your tendons, which are continuous with your ligaments, which are continuous with your bone. Everything just kind of forms in together and there's no cut and dry. Like this is where the tendon starts. This is where it stops. In the cartoons that we study, there are, but those are artists' renditions. If you actually look at the human body, which was probably one of my favorite parts of PT school, you, you don't see that. So Yes, we should strengthen the wrist, maybe if that's like what we need to do. And yes, there are things that you can do to like create more stability in the wrist, even though there's no muscles across it. It was very like, that was just like one example of so much disconnect in school. It, yeah. <laughs> so kind of going off that rant, right? We kind of already went in and dibble dabbed on, you know, mobility versus stability. So First, could you kind of define both of them and then how you would address either one of them? And I guess to make it maybe easier for you to provide an example, maybe utilize um, the knee or the hip joint or whatever joint specifically that you tend to see within your populations that you work with. Yeah, so those terms are hard because everybody has their own different definitions of everything. Um, and I'm not entirely sure that I like defining them separately anyways, because 
the way that I will interpret mobility, and I will say that I am biased through and through because I took the functional range conditioning course. And a lot of that uh, has been my approach through how I rehab and work with people. So that's my bias. I'll put it out there. We all have biases and we kind of need to at least acknowledge them, right? So when I talk about mobility, I'm talking about their definition, which really means the ability of a joint to the ability of you to move your own joint through its full range of motion. So um, versus they would say flexibility, which is your ability to use gravity or something else to move your joint through its range of motion. So mobility really just boils down to having an active part and it really comes down to the joint moving as it should. Stability, in my opinion, is the same exact thing. Um, it's really just making sure that every part of the joint is doing what it should. Um, sometimes I think I remember the I was really big into some of the uh, FMS stuff and they really define mo mobility and stability as like the joint by joint approach, I think is what it's called. And they would say like the ankle needs mobility, the knee needs stability, hip needs mobility all the way up. But every joint needs mobility and every joint needs to know how to have control and mobility in my perspective is both all of the options and all of the control of those options. So if we think about a hip, um, and this is why I actually really like FRC. I don't get paid to like promote them, by the way. They just have that great of like information out there. But um, if we look at the hip, for example, like the hip is a ball and socket joint, right? And, and one of the parts of the FRC system is understanding that rotation in any joint except the spine has to... Um, occur or we have to focus on rotation and clear it before we work on any linear movements. So that means we would look at hip internal and external rotation before I would even address hip flexion, hip extension, hip abduction, or hip adduction. And that's just because if you look at a ball and socket joint, no matter where it's moving, is the ball not rotating in the socket? Like, doesn't matter if I'm going forward, sideways, like, it's all just rotation. And if you don't have rotation and you try to flex the joint, you're not going to get much movement there. And rotation really kind of boils down to like the deepest part of the joint, which is like the joint capsule. If you look at the way the ligaments are lined up, they are kind of at an angle. So it's like a rotational angle. So when you start to work on rotation, you, and this would be like stretching more to start, but like you will be creating more space in the joint, which just means more options and more room so that you can do more things with it, have more mobility before you kind of jam the joint. Um, this kind of goes down into like the deep, uh, I want to say it's osseo. What am I thinking of the word? This is in PT school where the memorization and me just kind of like went to the side because it doesn't matter. My patients don't care what it's called. Essentially like how the actual bone works, like there's joint coupling motions and that's where we're going to get deep into like the bio. Jen, you keep going in and out now. So if you're talking, pause for a minute. I don't know if you can even hear us right now. Jen, can you hear us? Yeah. Okay. okay. You, yeah, you went out for maybe a minute. We huh. lost you at like my the joint coupling. Oh yeah. yeah, the joint coupling. So um, <laughs> essentially, the joint coupling is what we're getting into. But that's like nobody cares what that is unless you're like super nerdy and that's a different conversation. But 
essentially, if you have a joint that does what it's supposed to, like a hip that rotates, you're going to have a hip that has more space. So it's going to have more movement options and you're going to have, you're going to, you're going to need control of all of those movement options, which is true mobility, right? The space, which is like flexibility plus the control. That is where you get stability. It's the muscles, all of the, the muscles doing what they need so that you're not getting jamming. So in my like perspective, um, <laughs> My dog's hanging out in the background there. Um, in my perspective, you will have stability if you just work on mobility. Um, if you, the only way that I think that like I will say that I work on stability is when it comes to working on like diaphragm control, intra-abdominal pressure and things like that. So that would be more like knowing how to own your core so that when I'm moving my hip, my hip is what's moving and my pelvis is not compensating because I don't know how to have a stable foundation, stable base. So in my opinion, um, that's kind of how I approach things is every joint just needs adequate mobility and control. And then we have to work on the diaphragm for control of like our actual stable core base. And that's usually how I kind of approach everything. And this is, this is like one of the biggest things that I don't think programs teach enough of. Uh, I mean, obviously, like you're saying, mobility and stability, I agree is two things that are very, very similar. That's hard to like figure out where the line is, like making them different. So I'll just say like these two for the sake of this conversation is mobility, but like in our masters, Adam, there's any, I don't know, you could speak on this, Jen, mobility is not something that really is taught, um, and how to improve it and how how to facilitate it or how to see how it's limiting someone's ability because it'll happen on a day-to-day basis where I'll get a new client. I'll see someone squatting in the gym and their knee valgus or something is just messed up. And since I've started working with clients, I've learned to either take like the bottom up or top down approach. And it's usually not in anywhere relation to the knee that's causing the issue. Um, but I don't like, they never taught us anything that evaluates which one it's going to be. Um, like recently it was about two, three weeks ago, I was reading a research article and it was just talking about how hamstring flexibility might not always be in control of even the hamstring itself. If someone weeks are, if someone's glutes are so weak that the hamstrings are having to make up for it, then by simply doing like two, two, three weeks of, uh, glute exercises, like voila, someone can now be super flexible and be able to go in a hinge movement. And it's just something that I don't think is not taught nor near enough, but you mentioned the FRC. Could you go a little bit more in depth on what they sort of preach? And I know we, we briefed on it earlier, but I got a lot of questions for this because it sounds like magic and you're preaching like it's magic. So I need to know more. Yeah. So the reason that I love it so much is because it's not magic and they preach that it's not magic. <laughs> like he talks about in this, I love uh, Andrew Espina, who is the creator of it. He was a chiropractor from Canada and um, he's very like, I'm pretty straightforward, but he's like extremely just like cut and dry. This is how it is. And he will just say it how it is, which I can appreciate. When I first took the course, I was kind of like, 
okay, there's a lot of acronyms. Like everybody is obsessed with this. Like what are these cars? They're doing weird movements. This doesn't seem realistic. Like I had all of the, what people normally do. I'm like the biggest skeptic when it comes to things. Right. And then here I am preaching about it being one of them. It feels like it's a cult, but there's a reason for it. And they are really good at creating community, but they preach principles, right? So like they print, they, they, the FRC course is a foundational, like here is all of this research. Like they go really in depth and anybody can take it who, uh, is like a trainer or if you're a healthcare provider, like you don't have to do be any of them. Um, sorry, you don't have to necessarily be a clinician to take it. And it is phenomenal. It's a lot of what I think we lost in translation with PT school. So FRC is like their basic foundation. You, you learn that stuff. And then you also will learn cars, which is essentially what everybody sees on Instagram as joint circles, but they stand for controlled articular rotations. Um, and you learn what that's about, which is essentially like the movement routine of taking your full body head to toe through its range of motion, like every joint through its full range of motion every day, just to maintain the health of the joint. And they go through all the science behind that. And then if you really know how our bodies work, how we keep our joints healthy and things like that, like you could basically try to come up with your own movement routine, but it would look exactly like cars. I talk about this on my Instagram because sometimes I'm like, do your cars. Like I'm like, people will call me the cars queen, but like, I'm only doing that because it, like I can't come up why reinvent the wheel when somebody else has already done a great job. So um, essentially that's like what FRC is and what they teach and what the actual course is, but they have other courses like the FRA, which is how to assess somebody from head to toe. Um, I use, this is pretty much the bulk of my assessment is the FRA. So I, it's, like you take a shoulder. So if somebody's, let's say you talked about squatting, right? Sometimes you're like, I don't know if it's the knee, the hip, the ankle. We don't know. Like if you just watch somebody squat, there's a lot of moving pieces. And I know there's a lot of movement gurus out there who are like, I can figure out this and this. And it's just like, you're guessing at that point, the human body is so complex. We cannot just guess in a very uh, complex movement. A squat's a complex movement. There's a lot of joints involved, right? And I'm not even getting to the spine and the upper back that's involved as well. So essentially FRA teaches you, okay, if you want to look at somebody's like squat, let's break down at least the hip, the knee, and the ankle, and let's see what they have there. What are their options? You have to look at all of them before you can really figure it out. And a lot of times when I work on that with people, like I can have like 10 people who have like knee valgus in like a ton of uncontrolled knee valgus and all of them will have a little bit different finding in their program. Like some of them might be lacking hip internal rotation, which is kind of ironic because they'll slam into internal rotation at their hip when they do a squat. But again, that's why we don't assess we, or don't guess we assess. Like you just always check it out. Some of them will be lacking hip abduction control. Some of them don't have any ankles. Like all of this is super you have to test to figure it out. And that's why I liked FRC so much is that they preach like break it all down, build everything back up from the pieces first, which made the most sense. And it actually is really annoying because I would rather it be way easier if I can just look at a squat and I can tell you exactly what's going on. My life would be so much simpler. I'd be flying through patients. We would be good to go. But like, that's not the reality of it. And the longer that I'm in practice, the more that I realize there's a lot of nuance behind it. So that's a lot of my practice. And then I have some other like core stability type things. And um, I do a lot of uh, like 
I don't know, like pain science stuff in my practice too. But I'd say the bulk of it is more like FRA related because it was what I learned in PT school. We were taught to take the neck through the range of motion and see what it is, assess the strength. And that is essentially what the FRA does. It's like passively, what can you do? And then actively, what can they do? And what are the deficits? And how are they feeling in those? We're looking for like pinching sensations, which is a sign that maybe the joint's not doing what it should, things like that. So um, that's kind of FRC and they have other courses like FR that are. Um, is, is the FRA, is that like under the FRC or are these all individual certifications? They're all individual courses. So functional anatomy seminars is their like website and like who they are. And then FRC is the foundational course. You have to take that to take any of the other courses because it's the principles. And this is like what they say, like everybody's like, what are the FRC exercises for blank? And they're like, there are no FRC exercises. It's literally like learn movement and then learn what you're trying, what tissues you're trying to uh, train or what adaptations you're trying to elicit. So if you need better hip abduction, move them into a position where you're going to work on hip abduction. And a lot of times um, we'll put, I'll put people into positions where they can't use their spine to compensate. We're using a lot of end range training because to be honest, most people have decent mid range strength, but they really need better control um, towards their end ranges. So those are some of the examples, but that's why I really like their stuff is that they're just like very, very, very principle oriented. So they really want people to think on, on their own exact opposite of physical therapy school in my opinion. Uh, in some ways I'm probably gonna, I can hear my professors like from five years ago yelling at me for that, but I just don't think the system is set up to get people to think on their own, but FRC does. So that's why I love it. And them. I think this is an extremely important topic to talk about because a lot of people will be like, oh no, I need to go to school for this or, oh no, I need to go do this in order to know this. But like, as we're talking right now, uh, and what we talked about before this is, I don't know if I want to go to physical therapy school, like I want to, but now I'm going to check out these certifications because if it can touch on the movement screening, uh, assessment and just the more fundamental biomechanics side of things, then that's ultimately what I'm looking for and why I go pay another hundred K just to get another piece of paper. So, I mean, it, it, it's really interesting to see how people can really benefit from continuing education. But what are some ways that you really personally like to keep up on your continuing education? Is it going through certs? Is it, is it research reviews or uh, like mass? Have you heard of mass by stronger mm -hmm. by science? Uh, uh, Adam, what would mass even be considered? I would say it's just a journal review, monthly application to sports science. Okay. Yeah. So what are some ways that you personally like staying on top of things? Um, so I will be the first to admit that I'm not the best at it, uh, at all. Like I'm just not. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One, I felt like after PT school, because I was in school and then I was also like on weekends going to continuing ed and like consuming the crap out of information. I actually had to pull back quite a bit from it. Cause it was just like, I was just kind of like burnt out from learning and just to be honest, the more I learned, the, the more that I felt like I didn't know. And there's that whole Dunning-Kruger effect with that. Um, and so as I was learned, like, as I came out of PT school, I just worked on getting experience and I was like, let me just keep putting forth what I can. And part of that's because I worked a traditional PT job my first year out while I was building my business and I was doing some online blogging stuff. So I was working at my traditional clinic, like 50 plus hours a week 
probably close to 60 some, some days. Then I would go and treat a person or two and we would do online like little presentations for movement upgraded. And then I was like writing blogs and trying to like do social media stuff. So I was burnt out. I didn't have time for it. And I was like, let's just get some of the um, experience down because that's really what I needed. Then um, from there, it was more, okay, let me um, research things as I had patients. So as I, like, I'm constantly just in the, the work and I'm always having to go look stuff up. So then that happened a lot and I wasn't doing any additional from there. Um, and I would say the most learning that I've done has been trying to hone in on coaching and like cueing and things like that, because I honestly think that's a huge thing that is missing in like physical therapy. It's just like, they don't know how to coach anything. We don't yeah. know how to cue anything. And then they don't even care. They're like, here's your, here's your list of exercises. And then they never check in. Like, where are you feeling this? Like, because I can't tell you how many people that I'll have do that. And I'm like, where are you feeling this? What do you feel when you do this? I want to make sure they're getting what they need out of the exercise. Like, are we even targeting the right tissues? Because it turns out you can have a bunch of people do the same exercise in the same position and they will all feel something different because all of our anatomies are a little bit different. Some people have to tweak things. And half of my population that I work with, they don't even know what they feel in their body because we are so detached from how we feel in our bodies anyways. They don't even know how to talk to their body. So um, that's kind of like a little, it's almost like a little, I don't know, meditation. I talked about this before in another podcast, which is a different story, but um, getting people to connect with their bodies and be like fully present in them is really important. So I think that most of my learning has been that. I have like an email, I think from... I want to say ice that I signed up for. They send like a weekly research, like five articles and I'll keep in touch with that. Um, and then the rest of the last like few years have also been more business oriented because I also own my own business and we're trying to make sure that I have systems and things like that set up. So I am not always just learning straight clinical stuff, but everything that I do learning wise is going back into being a clinician. Um, and there was a time when I did a lot of more personal development too, because that also really is important. And I think that clinicians are so obsessed sometimes with learning more information, but that does not translate into a better clinician. And like most clinicians need a little bit work of work on like either going to therapy or dealing with their own like stuff and they need to be better coaches. And I really wish we had better like motivational interviewing and like coaching, uh, in PT school too. That's another thing because uh, you can tell people to do what you need, but I will spend 20 minutes sometimes talking with people. Okay. So I haven't seen you for a month and you've done none of your exercises. What are our expectations here? And instead of shaming them, which is what a lot of physical therapists do, I'll be like, what's going on? Why is this not happening? Let's figure out if I gave you too much to do. Let's figure out if I need to help you find a way to, to set this up because most physical therapy rehab, uh, whatever it is they're coming to me for, it requires them to just have consistent daily habits. Same thing with all of fitness. And so if you don't know how to help people set those up, you're just not going to be a good clinician. So that is my long winded answer to what do I do to continuously learn? Um, that's probably not the answer that. No, I actually love that answer because that's something that I've sort of stopped doing as well is trying to just reach out and reach out and learn more and learn more and instead work with my clients. And as things come, you mentioned motivational interviewing. That's at least one book I'm trying to learn because it's very hard to learn about psychology, I think, without actually trying to figure it out more. But like 
the, the squatting exercise that I mentioned with that tight hamstrings or the hinging, the glute weakness, that was something that just kept coming up. And I was like, I really need to look at this and look further into this because this is like my third client that I've done stretching in between upper body supersets with their lower body and it's just not getting better. So like what's actually going on? Uh, and like I said, I came around, came across one article that who knows how long it would have taken to pop up on my newsfeed or pop up in my email as a news or a research journal. Uh, but just as issues come up with clients, this is just experience is going to be one of those things that you just can't ever read in a book. And it's something that like coaches never get taught how to coach. Like you, if you never try to personally work on your own coaching, you're probably not going to get better as a coach because first off, psychologically, I knew nothing about motivational interviewing, how to talk to people, but now it's just like, instead of me trying to tell people why something's beneficial, I literally tried every conversation to get them to say it. So, I mean, it, it's just, it, it goes to show you that books can't tell you everything, especially in uh, a field where it's more than just movement. It's, it's like considering how one's stress is impacting their movement or their recovery or their nutrition or how their overall health is impacting their ability to get out of bed or whatever the case is. Uh, for programming in general, though, what would you say some big difference or maybe there's no differences between a rehab program and like a strength program that focuses on performance? Where, where, how can those be similar and where do you draw the line that they're clearly different? That's a really good question. Um, I principle wise, they're almost identical, right? So mm -hmm. like principles, this is why I like wish programming and like exercise science were in rehab and like physical therapy schools, because if I'm writing a program, my programming for my clients, like who are getting out of pain is very similar to my programming for people who are just wanting to get stronger and take care of themselves the nuance is the only thing that's different. So the more that they have pain and the more specific goals they have related to mobility, the more detailed and specific I have to get with what we're doing. So somebody who's not in pain, who just wants to get stronger, options are a little bit larger. You can skin a cat a million ways or whatever the heck that, that phrase is that's escaping me right now. Um, but when it comes to getting out of pain, I'm a little bit more detailed. So how they do something starts to matter a little bit more. Um, how heavy it is. I'm like load management becomes really important where like even the load is. So like somebody who just wants to get strong for a squat, for example, like back squat, front squat, goblet squat, like it's not too important because they just want to stay healthy. Most of my clients who come in to get strong, for example, but somebody who is in a lot of pain, I'm going to pick one of those based on one, like what's not painful because I'm very into not training into pain. Um, and I will choose particular times when they can, but it's very nuanced and, and it's highly dependent. So I think the joke in physical therapy is it depends. Like that was the joke in physical therapy school. Cause it does like there, it depends on so many factors. Um, and I would say that people who are in pain are going to have more, just 
specifics in the time that they hold things like tempo becomes more specific and they're going to do more body control typically. So I will have them drop down and wait a lot of times and just work on like, all right, let's see if we can clean up this movement a little bit better. Let's see if we can make this pretty hard, but also not with a ton of load because a lot of times that's what my clients need. And this is kind of average, but I'd say the biggest differences is just the nuances behind it. Like you have more options when somebody's not in pain um, because you don't have to worry about them being in pain. And I'm still a little bit more on the, I don't just load a crappy movement type. I know there's like a spectrum of clinicians and movement professionals who are like, there's half of them who are like, the body is resilient. You should just load whatever. As long as it's not painful, it doesn't matter. And then there's everybody who's like, oh, if their hip is rotated a little to the right, um, we can't load anything and it's all bad and we're all asymmetrical and nothing can be loaded. And I like to think I'm like in the middle because how somebody moves matters because that's how they're dissipating forces in their body. And just because they're not in pain doesn't mean they don't have a dysfunctional joint. And that's kind of some of what the FRA can help people see. Um, if you don't have internal rotation at one of your hips and you have lots at the other hip, there's going to be some issues there. And it's probably not a matter of if it's, it's a matter of when, um, at the minimum. And at the most, if you don't have internal rotation at your hip, most likely you don't have a hip, which means you're probably going to be more prone to arthritis, needing a hip replacement, all kinds of things like that. And your squat depth is just not going to be that great. So, um, yeah, I would say that's the other nuance is I will, be okay a little bit more with loading people if their form isn't perfect, if they're not in pain or it's not rehab. But for the most part, they look very similar in rehab and in strength and conditioning. And I think that's a important like spectrum to bring up, Adam. I don't know who it was recently, but we talked about like, okay, if their form isn't perfect, but they have been doing an exercise for like six months and it's really heavy and they still haven't had pain in it. And then all of a sudden, like they're starting to have pain. It might not because it might not be because their form is slightly off. It probably is like poor management, a load or recovery or, or something else. And that has been my perspective is like, Oh, you got to have the correct form. You always have to do things right. But now it's like, why, like everyone's different. Like, okay, so what your knees aren't directly going over the outer toes of your foot. Like everyone will squat differently. And if it's not painful for them, cool. Let's just, let's make sure we keep increasing load effectively and doing things how we should. Uh, Adam. And variability matters most anyways. So like if somebody squats and we know this even about like pitchers and baseball, like the people who have the less pain or the least amount of pain or who are the best athletes have the most movement variability. So it won't look the same every single time and it shouldn't. And to be honest, like, I don't, uh, if it, if, unless you're going for like PRs, right. So unless you're like going for your max strength, everything that we made up about form is completely made up. Like exercises are kind of made up and like who decided the knee needed to go in right over that second or third toe and the toe and the feet have to be pointed perfectly. Like what are we, what? <laughs> like exercises was not even invented until we stopped living like humans were supposed to be living. So variability, I think, which also is something that FRC, I love that they like promote because they're just like, you have a hip that doesn't have very much mobility, it doesn't have very many movement options. And then you're going to be more likely to overstress some of the tissues, which is exactly what uh, ends up being important. So I also am the same way. I'm like, I don't really, I, like, who cares if your 
me isn't in perfect alignment. Is it only that way? Like, is that the only option you have? Because then that's problematic if it's every single time. Um, but like, usually your body can adapt pretty well. And as long as you give yourself lots of options, it's not a problem. I actually have people purposefully do like a lunge or a squat with their knees caved in a little bit not loaded. So we're not going to go for like a max PR like that, but I am going to do that because guess what? Life puts you in that position. Sometimes you're going to get your knee over your not perfect. Like if I'm going to go bend down to pick something up off the ground, am I going to be like, Oh yeah, let me like act like a robot. Hold on. I have to like get my form right. And you're just going to be like perfect. No, like that's not going to happen. So you have to train unless again, you're like a pure strength athlete. Like there's those are different criteria, but for general humans, like you just need lots of options and we should train lots of them. And your spine doesn't need to be perfectly flat in every lift because it's not anyways, even if you think it is. <laughs> I, I think, again, you're dropping a lot of smoke and I think a lot of individuals and the nuance of when we first start. And I think, honestly, I always look at it. It really starts, you know, at that middle school, high school level. Like those individuals who should know the most. So when we get there and we get to our age, it's not, <clears throat> like you said, trying to fight against what you've previously been taught. It's okay. Now I understand these principles and we can just continuously build off these principles. And like you said, if we're able to reflect off some basic principles, a lot of it is just nuance. It's rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. But a lot of people, they don't like that answer. It's like, well, I got to do the same thing for how long? And you're going to tell me it's going to be how long until I see results? It's like, yeah, just about anything. You kind of do the same thing and you get better and better and better. That's, I always try to talk about the 10,000 hour rule, right? For my basketball players, it's, we do the same warm up, but it's like, yo, you guys are still fucking missing layups, right? <laughs> Wide open, no defense. So there's an issue here. Like we're going to continuously do it. And now we'll continuously make, you know, make it harder, regress, progress, however you want it to be. Um, but it, again, it's a rinse and repeat, right? We still have the, the professionals still doing this stuff. So it's, it's, it's okay. If you're still doing the same thing you started doing when you first did this stuff. Um, and, and actually something about that 10,000 an hour rule is something it, for some reason that has been popping up like a ton in whatever I'm reading or whatever I'm looking at or a video I'm watching, but it's not even like the fact that you're getting 10,000 hours. It's also the fact like how you're intentionally putting forth your effort towards it. Like if someone is, is squatting for 10,000 reps uh, and they squat for 5,000 reps for another person, like that 5,000 rep person might've put a lot more effort into those 5,000 where the other person was just like going through the motion. So the person with less reps or less time might still be better off. So it, you got to think about the effort you're putting forth towards yeah. anything. And if you're wanting to improve, you need, you, you need to try to actually work towards that. So Jen, though, yeah. you made a really good conversation or a point about, you know, coaching. And I think, you know, that's a lot of what I first saw. I remember what I thought separated me going into DPD school with interviews is like, I was able to connect with the professor, with whomever, like I can mm -hmm. hold a conversation and a lot of people can't do that. What are some ways that you find yourself improving or the barriers of people just not being able to connect? What do you think it is? Uh, it's people. Oh, Adam, Adam. Oh, I'm king of the loaded questions today. <laughs> um, I think that uh, it's twofold. I think one I said this a little bit, but I really think a lot of people have their own internal struggles that they really need to tackle. Like if you are going to be a human working with other humans, 
in things that are like very hard. Like when I work with people, they're not having the time of their lives when they come see me. It is usually like one of the lowest points. So if I don't know how to handle my own self and my own uh, deal with my own shit, essentially, um, I'm just not going to be there for another person. Like you cannot do that to the more to the extent than you are for yourself. And I know that sounds like really cliche and all that stuff, but like cliches are cliche for a reason. Like they are legit. And I think a lot of people have their own internal struggles that they really have to work on. And I saw this a lot in physical therapy school. There's just like a, a lot of like unhealed trauma and just like perpetuating all of this stuff. And I think a lot of people would just benefit from a lot more personal development, probably some therapy um, at the very bare minimum, um, but personal development in and of itself and just becoming a little bit more self-aware is really, really big. And I do a lot of continuing education more on the psychology and behavioral side because I think um, that's like probably at least half of what you do. It doesn't matter what program I have for somebody. If I can't convince them that one, it's important for them and two, that like they need to do it. So if I don't know how to communicate things, if I don't know how to teach things, if I don't know how to communicate things in a way that that person will understand, by the way, because that is super important, they're not going to do it. And I had a, a client who I had worked with. She's been with me for about a year and a half, came to me after rehab wanted to get back into working out, was a little afraid, uh, and was basically like, I've seen the plateau in rehab, but I want to go back to the gym. And that's everybody who usually comes to see me. And so we started working on like general strength work. Like she is an ex like CrossFit, orange theory, like destroy yourself, yo-yo dieter, like never feeling herself type of thing. And she's like, I just want to get back in shape. I want to feel confident again. I want to be able to like go up and down stairs without knee pain. And I'm like, didn't you just have rehab for that? Like they should have cleared that, but whatever. So I was working with her though. And she, I've lost my train of thought here. What was I talking about before that? I think the biggest thing to mention too, that you touched on is like, people aren't always going to like understand or respond to one individual. And yeah. as coaches, I think it's really important to understand that like, okay, this individual is just not getting what I'm saying. Maybe mm -hmm. either have like my coworker say it, or if like your mm -hmm. client leaves, don't take it personally. Like the client is ultimately trying to better themselves. You should be happy that they're going to try to reach out to someone else if they're not working with you. But oh, also, yeah. like they just might like me personally, I'm not going to sit there and scream at you and like shame you down. But like for some clients, they might really benefit from that. So I mean, it, it really is just a, a per individual approach that as coaches, you got to realize that not only do you have to try to explain things in more than one way, but you just might not be the best coach for that individual. And it's not always about you, which goes back to like personal development, right? Like the goal is that the, the client wins and they need to win however it is for them. And you have to be detached from that. I've had to send people out and I'm very good about knowing like my boundaries. Like if you come in and you have vestibular stuff, see ya. Like I do not do that. Like that's straight. Jen, we lost you again. Jen, I don't know. She, she's still going. Chris, you, use your voice. Maybe she can hear Jen, you are you able to hear us? Can you raise your hand if you can hear us? <laughs> when people didn't want to work with them, essentially, or when they're not getting results. And I wish that people would realize, like clinicians and coaches, if, some, if they're not consistent, I wish that we would take things um, 
serious. What's the word? I feel like I heard a really great quote. It was like, take your client's successes, like seriously, but not personally or something like that. Like, I think that we should be like really serious in whether or not they're making progress. And like, we should kind of put it on ourselves a little bit to like, make that help them better, get them to figure out what it is that's like not getting them where they want to go. But detach from that being like, our fault. And our like, us as a person, like, that's us, maybe they just don't get along with us. Um, maybe they just need something communicated differently. That's what I was talking about with my client before I kept telling her she needed like some mobility work, all this stuff. And she was just like, I want to like grow my glutes. And I'm like, okay. And then finally, one day I was like, you realize like, if you have a hip that works better, you will actually get deeper in a squat and you will be able to actually have higher step ups, which are the most important thing for glute development. You don't have a hip that works like a hip. You don't get that. And you can't create that maximal stretch stretch required for mechanical tension to grow your glutes. She was like, why didn't you tell me this nine months ago? I I don't know. Apparently I keep telling you science because that's how I think. And I forgot to relate it to like what you cared about. I was just about to say, you did it. That's the perfect way to bring it to them, meet them in the middle and kind of bring the science that you were saying and have them. Okay. That's relatable. Now I understand why you're making me do these FRCs and cars and stuff like that. Um, and I guess to kind of piggyback on right time to, you know, detach either success or losses or whatever. One thing I always say to my guys, like, Hey, if you guys win, that's on y'all. If y'all lose, I, I, I like to say hey, it's on me because that it's maybe I didn't prepare you guys enough for this, or I am not maybe communicating the correct way for you guys to transfer what I'm trying to say into the court mm-hmm. or into the gym or into the kitchen, whatever it may be. But it's also on you to call my ass out on that. Because if you're not calling my ass out on I'm oblivious, I think I'm doing it okay. Like, I, I like to think like, hey, I kind of know what I'm doing. But you need to also call me out on my bullshit if you have no idea. Because I have a million different ways to talk about it. Because I'm, I'm pretty blessed to be surrounded with a lot of individuals that also kind of do what I do. So I, I, don't have, I don't mind. I will put my ego aside and ask Chris, ask Jen, ask whoever I think is better at this topic to, hey, this is how I say, it. how would you frame it and stuff like that? So I think again, ego is the worst enemy. You got to put that to the side and understand that, Hey, ultimately it's that client that we need to care about to get to where they want to be. Yeah. And there, there's a lot of different topics, but I mean, you just got to make sure you're focusing on yourself, make sure you're trying to put the client first. Cause a lot of people miss that, but Dr. Jennifer, it was Hostler. Yeah. Hostler. So where can our listeners find you or seek out your help if they're trying to find a little bit more in depth about what you do? Um, I pretty much live on Instagram. Um, so I'm not always on Instagram, but it feels like it a lot because that is part of my job. So I am at Jen Hostler on Instagram. We have a clinic Instagram as well, Movement Upgraded, but we have really not been posting stuff on there. Um, because mostly I'm just two Instagrams is like insane to try to keep up with. So I just keep up with my own and, um, that's pretty much where everything is. Like you'll find all of the stuff, link in bio, like (laughs) all of the stuff that I have and that I offer and everything is set up on there. And, um, I think I like to think it's relatively organized, but every week I'm reminded that you know, I don't know, I could do better at making it more obvious because I get messages all the time. So, but that's where I live. That's uh, most of where you can find me. Jen, so we always like to finish this topic off too. top three books that you loved and appreciate and would recommend to our audience. 
Uh, okay. So number one is going to be how to win friends and influence people because this is what I was going back. I think this is like number one of like working on yourself is learning how to communicate with people and just like putting other people like their problems first kind of. So, you know, just like not being so into your own issues if you're working with other humans. And as that book kind of sounds like you're trying to manipulate people, which it's not really, it's actually about giving a crap about the human you're conversing with. So that book was like one of my favorites that I've ever read. And I will probably, I, I have a goal of reading it once a year, but I'm not that great at it. <laughs> so that one, and one of the ones that I've also loved is Grit by, uh, I'm trying to think of, Duck, Angela Duckworth, I think. Is that right? Yeah. So I was gifted that from a clinical instructor um, you and that book to me way back when, when I first did, read it, I, read it I, like, <laughs> I guess then that's good because that means that I haven't changed too much. So yeah, I love that book because it talks about like how you don't just necessarily, you're not born with like skills. And I think most things are, if, as long as you have passion and perseverance, you can figure stuff out. And, and that's essentially what grit is. And you cannot get through physical therapy school or be a coach or a person who works with humans, unless you have some sort of grittiness to you. Um, so that one, I'm trying to think of what my third favorite would be. Recently, I would say for, it's between two. Recently, I've really loved the Daily Stoic, again, for working on yourself. I'm in the middle of that because I started that this year. But I'd say for clinicians, one of my favorite is, uh, what's it called? I have it right here. Oh, the body keeps the score. That's like super important in understanding trauma and how it, affects people in their bodies and how it correlates to pain and how it changes like our entire nervous system. Um, it's kind of heavy and dense, but there's so much trauma. And I, I know I've kind of brought this up and I'm not a psychologist, but I originally actually was studying psychology in undergrad and then I switched, but it's a very large part of what you do when you work with humans. Um, I say humans, like I'm an alien or something. But <laughs> when I, work with, I don't know. Uh, when you work with people, you really need to, uh, understand that everybody has some sort of trauma or their own story. And I think the body keeps the score is a great way to understand how that can manifest. And like you were saying earlier, Chris, somebody who has like tight hamstrings that aren't necessarily the hamstrings, like the entire body, all of the muscles, everything is governed by the nervous system. Your nervous system is constantly picking up information and um, constantly listening to the thoughts that you have. And it governs how you feel and how tight things are and all of that. So understanding how people's like experiences in their lives can affect how they feel in their body and even how they move, like their coordination changes is super cool. So uh, there's that long winded story again. I, no, that, that actually sounds a really like good, but that might have to be my next read for sure. So, but Dr. Jen, we appreciate you. We're definitely gonna have to have you on a part two because there are still some things that we didn't really get to, but we don't want to hold you, especially on this day of Sunday, um, go enjoy, go read, go do your dang girl. Um, but we appreciate your time and efforts. Um, and like she said, if you don't follow her already, Movement Upgrader, Dr. At Dr. Jen Hostler? No, just Jen Hostler. Oh, just Jen Hostler. Just, just Jen. It's just Jen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But thanks for having me on. It was great chatting with you guys. Yeah, thank you. That was all the smoke. And make sure you guys leave a review, hit the five-star button, do all the nonsense, share it. Um, give us what you got, man. We appreciate you guys. And that is all the smoke. We'll see you guys next episode.